Day had broken cold and gray, exceedingly cold and gray, when the man turned aside from the main office hallway and climbed the portable stairs. It was a steep climb, and he paused for breath at the top, excusing the act to himself by looking at his watch. It was seven o'clock. There was no to-build-a-fire lesson plans, nor hint of to-build-a-fire lesson plans, though he was supposed to teach Jack London's to-build-a-fire first period. So as the principal popped his head in at 7.15 that very day, this teacher needed lesson plans, and he needed them fast, or he was going to get fired. Well, there's not much I can do for him, but there is something I can do for you. Hey, this is Trent Lorcher, and welcome to the Teaching ELA Podcast, where I help ELA teachers thrive in and out of the classroom. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms. Whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy, I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. In today's episode of the Teaching ELA Podcast, I discuss a classic short story from one of America's most famous short story writers. To Build a Fire by Jack London. I've got an emergency lesson plan you can get on the board right now involving imagery and sensory details. If you're going to teach one thing from this story that will make teaching this story easier, teach students naturalism and get them to cite textual evidence to support literary analysis. I discuss this along with suspense, theme, cause and effect, and of course writing a literary analysis. We got a spoiler alert coming up. If you've never read this, first of all, why? <laughs> why have you never read this? Second of all, if you, you got to teach it right now, I'll save you the trouble of reading it. Or if you're like me, you read this when you're in like seventh grade and then you've forgotten and you got to teach it again. I mean, I read it like this morning, but basic summary of the story. It's cold. It's not your typical it's January. My snot freezes to my nostrils cold. We've all been there if we lived, if we grew up in the north, but it's colder than that. It's 75 degrees below zero. That's even cold for the Yukon, where a man, a newcomer to the region, thinks he understands just how cold 75 degrees below zero is. He's wrong. The old-timer knows how cold 75 degrees below zero is. In fact, he warned the man not to travel when it's 75 degrees below zero. Did I mention it's 75 freaking degrees below zero? The old-timer also mentioned the stupidity of traveling alone in the Yukon when it's 75 degrees below zero. The man didn't listen, but he's listening now. You see, 75 degrees below zero causes spit to freeze before it hits the ground. 75 degrees below zero causes fingers to go numb in 15 seconds. This is how the man begins to learn just how cold 75 degrees below zero is. He finishes his learning after coming across a hot spring that has partially melted the ice that the man steps on. Now, when a man steps on partially unfrozen ice, it breaks. And when the ice breaks, man gets wet. And when a man gets wet when it's 75 degrees below zero, he must build a fire. And build a fire the man does. Unfortunately, that fire is built below a spruce tree. The heat from the fire affects the snow that's been sitting on the spruce tree branches. The snow from the spruce tree branches falls and puts out the fire. The man's mouth hadn't been frozen shut, he would have probably sworn. Instead, he tried to rebuild the fire. Spoiler alert. He doesn't succeed and freezes to death. Class is about to start and you need something right now. So here's the one thing you can put on the board right now. So when the students come in, you'll be ready to roll. All right, all lesson plans we discussed in this podcast can be found at ELA Common Core Lesson Plans.com. The best. 
lesson plan website in the world and possibly the universe. All right, so we're going to talk about our two-minute lesson plan. If you got two minutes before class, you are in the right place. I can cite textual evidence to support analysis of imagery. Is this lesson plan? The purpose here is to help students understand how London establishes setting through specific sensory details. Now, if you have enough time, you may want to go over the definition of imagery with your class before you begin. Or you may not. You know your students. I don't. You have a teaching degree, right? Go to your whiteboard or your smart board. Make a two-column chart on the aforementioned board. Label the left column specific example of imagery or sensory details, whichever language you use. Hey, you're the teacher. Label the right column type and purpose of the image. Read the story and fill out the chart together. Your lesson is ready. All you need is a copy of the story, which I assume you have or you wouldn't have. You probably wouldn't be listening to this right now. So I'm going to give you some examples in case you have a few more than two minutes. We have Here's an example of imagery from the story. As the story begins, and I quote, There was no sun, nor hint of sun, though there was not a cloud in the sky. It was a clear day, and yet there seemed an intangible pall over the face of things. A subtle gloom that made the day dark, and that was due to the absence of sun. End quote. So that would be your left column example. Uh, and again, this is all at ELA Common Core Lesson Plans.com. In the right column, I, I created this myself. The mood of the story is established immediately through the use of sensory details. The lack of sun is highlighted by the intangible pall, a subtle gloom, and the absence of the sun. This emphasizes the story's first line that it was cold and gray, exceedingly cold and gray. So we have here the first thing I gave you a quote, a specific example from the story. You might even put that on the board with your students. And then let them think about the right side, which is identify it's a sight image, and then explain what's the purpose of it. In this case, the purpose was to emphasize, uh, to uh, establish mood and to emphasize the cold and gray day. Another image, this is a uh, touch image. After a time, he was aware of the first faraway signals of sensation in his beaten fingers. The faint tingling grew stronger till it evolved into a stinging ache that was excruciating, but which the man hailed with satisfaction. End quote. So there's a direct quote from the story. It comes right out of the story. And my analysis of it, this is something you might want to discuss. I'm just giving you some ideas. When an excruciating, stinging ache is hailed with satisfaction, there's trouble afoot, especially if your shoes are off and it's 75 below zero. It's a bit of foreshadowing. So you could discuss the purposes to kind of give the reader a sense of just how cold it is, the indifference of nature, if you're into naturalism, and a little bit of foreshadowing. Let's talk about some more than just those of you who have more than two minutes to prepare. We've got some topics for discussion. Now, the number one topic you're going to want to discuss with this short story is naturalism. We're going to go into more detail on this in just in lickety split jiffiness, all right? Suspense. There's really only one character in To Build a Fire, and the entire story takes place in one location. It doesn't sound very intense, but it is. So you can discuss with your class and analyze how the Masters create suspense and then observe how Jack London does it. And the Masters create suspense through pacing, dangerous action, and foreshadowing. That's something you may want to discuss with your class. And there's a lesson plan on this at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. Sensory details, we've already talked about it. We've got character analysis. The man is a fool. His folly and lack of imagination uh, doom him. His determination to survive the journey and his decision to face death with dignity, however, proves 
somewhat redemptive in a Hemingway kind of way. This was before Hemingway, but I think Hemingway would have liked this. Style and tone. London's direct and dispassionate style reflects the harsh setting of the Yukon. Remember, form reflects content. And he seems somewhat indifferent in the telling, which again is a tenet of naturalism. And the hero's journey. According to the hero's journey, the hero goes on a journey by leaving the ordinary world and facing trials. According to the hero's journey, the hero dies or nearly dies, but overcomes his trials in the end and returns to the normal world. A good topic for discussion is how our hero's journey in this story deviates from the norm. Does the man finally overcome his pride and foolishness by dying with dignity, or does he simply fail? In other words, is he a survivor that that happens to die, or is he a fool who gets what he deserves? Or maybe both. All right, that sound can only mean one thing. It means it's time for the one thing. That's right. If there's one thing you teach from this story, it's going to be this right here. The one thing in this story, if you're going to teach anything in this story, it needs to be naturalism. Uh, Any teacher or student of literature needs to familiarize himself with Jack London. And in order to familiarize yourself with Jack London, you need to be familiar with naturalism. And uh, naturalism focuses on the indifference of nature, the hostility of nature, which is one of the main components of naturalism. Once you understand that the the tenets of naturalism, you're better able to discuss cause and effect, plot, setting, imagery, and all those other literary devices in the story. Give you a brief overview. Naturalism is a literary movement of the late 19th and early 20th century, characterized by the application of scientific determinism to literature. In other words, your your fate is determined. There, there's nothing you can do. All right. The assumption with naturalism is that everything that it, that is real exists in nature. Now, some people confuse naturalism with realism because they emphasize realistic people, realistic settings, ordinary people struggling with unseen forces over which they don't have any control. I mean, our, our friend can't control the weather, can he? Naturalist writers include some of the greatest writers in American history, in American literature. Stephen Crane. Jack London, John Steinbeck, others include John Dos Passos, Theodore Dreiser. Now, you can do a simple assignment with this that involves students finding evidence of naturalism and identifying which aspects of naturalism the example represents. I put something in the show notes that will help you teach naturalism if you want to get all literary up in this mug, yo. This cold mug of 75 degrees below zero. So there's some stuff in the show notes. I highly recommend you uh, access that. It's got notes for naturalism that you can hand out to your class. That's right. I put a notes page together for you that's in the show notes along with a chart with different stories you might want to teach. If, again, you want to get all literary up in this mug. (laughs) I'm so dope, yo. All right, let's discuss a couple of examples of naturalism from this specific story. One aspect of naturalism is that life is a trap. These guys weren't exactly the most positive writers now, were they? Life is a trap. In the case of our protagonist in this story, there are literally traps underneath the surface that cause our narrator to fall in. So life is a trap is pretty darn obvious. Underneath the snow, there are literal hot springs that serve as a trap for travelers. Another aspect of naturalism, nature is indifferent and sometimes hostile. Do you remember that part at the beginning when I said it's 75 degrees below zero? So that's just a couple of examples right off the top of my head. 
that you can discuss as you read this story. If you're looking for a writing assignment, again, if you've taught naturalism, if you've taught students to cite textual evidence and analyze, which of course you know is the one, the one reading standard that will make your, if you want your students to have this down, I can cite textual evidence to support literary analysis. Teaching literature is so much easier. And this is a great assignment for that. Have students identify aspects of naturalism, specific examples, explain those, and then just turn it into a writing assignment. Because what's going to happen once they have that chart filled out? They're going to be like, holy smokes, I got enough information on this paper that I can write. And you don't have to go around and tell them what to write because they've already written it down. It's already organized. So there's none of this staring at a blank slice of paper hoping words appear. Love it! Yeah, there is a 45-minute movie on YouTube that works as well. You may want to preview it. I think there's the D word or something like that. He says, D-A, well, he says Hoover Dam. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about without the Hoover? <laughs> we don't swear. This is a G-rated podcast. But there is a movie on YouTube. I linked to that in the show notes. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, that brings us to the end of this podcast on To Build a Fire, Teaching to Build a Fire, Teaching ELA podcast. If you're not an ELA teacher, why not? (laughs) It's the best job ever. We get to read and get paid. Takeaways. This story provides excellent examples of imagery, especially touch sensory details. So you don't have to worry about when, you know, when students say, imagery is when the author must have readers in the picker's mind. No, wait, picker's in the reader's mind, mister. It's not what we're doing here. This is a touch. Imagery is not creating pictures in the reader's mind. It's providing vivid details that appeal to the senses. And the, and, and, and the senses really appeal to in this story are touch. So it kind of gives a different aspect of imagery. So no more. Just give me a picture in my mind, Mr. Mrs. If you're going to teach one thing from the story, go with naturalism. You get time to prepare something, go with naturalism. It will naturally, (laughs) see what I did there? Lead to the story's themes and other elements. And the story also, and I didn't even mention this yet. I'm going to mention it now, I guess. I should have mentioned it already if I'm putting it in my takeaways. Hey, I'm new at this podcasting stuff. Cut me some slack. There's a good cause and effect breakdown. What caused this man's downfall? Because you can talk all you want about hostility of nature, life is a trap, we're controlled by forces out of our control, blah, blah, blah. But dude decided to leave his cabin when it's 75 degrees below zero. So there's some cause and effect going on here. The man kind of caused his own downfall a little bit because he's kind of an idiot. At least at first. All these lessons and more can be found at ELA Common Core. Lessonplans.com I put a link in the show notes to the uh, To Build a Fire. I had a lot of stuff. To, the, to Build a Fire lesson plan. I got Conflict lesson plan. I don't really have that. Scratch that. I've got the Interlopers text link. To Build a Fire. Oh, interlopers? We're talking about interlopers. I have the To Build a Fire movie lesson plan. An overview of naturalism. The to Build a Fire movie, To Build a Fire lessons page. I, I'm losing track. I'm so excited. I am so excited. I better, I better stop recording right now because I am just too excited. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA podcast. 
For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 